Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, welcome to today's edition of the Hardcore Church Planner, and we're looking forward to hearing from our guests, but uh, today, before we start, I'm going to introduce you to uh, really a, a, you know, making a cameo today, his premiere, his debut is uh, Travis Sinks. And I asked Travis before, how do you want to be introduced? And Travis said, just tell him it's Travis Sinks. So uh, it's Travis Sinks. And he is a church planner with uh, Redemption Church in South Florida. And uh, he also does a lot of work for us with the magazine. And uh, since the new year, Pete Mitchell, my partner in crime, has uh, kind of been giving himself more into helping bivocational church planners get on their feet. And so he said, Hey, I'm going to have to devote more time to this and less to these interviews anyways. And besides Pete felt he only really contributed to the fight question at the end. So, um, uh, Travis, welcome on and, uh, Travis introduce yourself and, uh, then you're going to introduce our guest today. Thanks Peyton. Do you hear that music too? Or is that, is that, Peyton? I do. I don't know. I do. I don't know I was, who that is. Was, is one of you singing? At least it was, it was good music <laughs> at least, but I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, first, first time talker, long time listener, that type of thing. Uh, no, loved everything on this podcast. Glad you'll be part of it. Uh, like you said, uh, assistant pastor of a church plan in Florida, and uh, glad to be part of what God is doing here. And since moving down here uh, five years ago, um, we actually were able to uh, meet uh, another church who was literally like three blocks away. And uh, we've been blessed to connect with them. And that's who we're talking to today as uh, he's been a huge, uh, not only inspiration and, you know, they're literally like two years before we started um, ahead of us in that way, ahead of us in many ways that we can just, you know, gain encouragement from and gain wisdom from. We're thankful to be in the city with them in Delray Beach, Florida. And that is uh, Casey Cleveland is pastor of the Avenue Church. And uh, so, Casey, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some of your salvation story, how you got into ministry, that type of thing. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Peyton and Travis. Thanks for uh, including me. Appreciate you guys and uh, everyone out there as well who's uh, moving forward in this calling. Um, yeah, so I would, I guess I would consider myself uh, a covenant child, if you will. Grew up in the church and um, around the things of the Lord since I can remember, but uh didn't uh, have that moment of uh, getting to meet the Lord personally until I was about 13 years old. And uh, I think it was that, that, that season in my life where I moved from religious behavior to uh, uh, beginning to fall in love with Jesus, and who he is and uh, what he wanted to do and um, just kind of joining in and uh, discipleship started from there. Uh, unorganized and organic, I would say, was my discipleship journey. And uh, what I mean by that is not a ton of youth youth group involvement 
um, or structured stuff, but uh, just had a family that was trying to follow the Lord. And uh, and I just began to uh, get into my word and, and just have the spirit help me to understand what it means to have all areas of my life uh, be devoted to Jesus. Um, and so that turned into some college activity with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes where things began to take more shape um, as far as like maybe uh, getting into uh, a role or a place of leadership where I was sharing my story um, in, in different high schools and things like that and uh, began to learn a little bit more about what it means to kind of um, not only follow Jesus, but uh, maybe take a few others with you. And uh, as, as Francis Chan would uh, challenge us. Um, and then uh, did that, met my wife uh, in, uh, in college and didn't know what I wanted to do besides hang out with her. So I knew I needed to get a degree and I wanted to be married to her. And so she was going to be a teacher. So I figured that's what I should do. Um, so I did that for a while. And uh, that turned into working for a Christian school that was connected to a uh, church. They asked me to come on to their side of the, the force, if you will. And uh, I did that uh, for about four years as like a community life guy, a family, a family life guy, kind of, a, kind of a mixture of things. And then uh, during that time, began to uh, hear a calling uh, to Delray Beach uh, to plant the Avenue Church. That's, uh, that's cool. about it. That is great. Um, so what about the the ministry that you guys have been doing? You guys have uh, started, I believe, six years ago now, right? Or is it almost seven? Yeah, man, we just celebrated six years. And um, uh, we we entered Delray because <clears throat> um, we began to sense sort of just like the, the father at work, you know? And it was one of those things where it seemed like we should join in. I, I was currently at a bigger church as one of many pastors, you know, and, um, but I would come to Del Rey and I don't know, man, there was just something going on that, um, so you know how the gospel has kind of two components to it, bad news, good news. So the bad news of our, of our sin and separation and the good news of a savior who loves us in spite of that and pursues us at our worst, gives us his best. Well, when I went to Del Rey, like there didn't seem to be a lot of convincing needed of the bad news. Uh, people were hungry for something better, something hopeful. Uh, they, they, were, they were thirsty for grace, even though they didn't have a name to it. And so just began to work that field and, and um, a couple others joined with me. And then that turned into, hey, man, what if we were to like do a church that looked like this? Um, and so the first entry point was through the, um, the world of addiction and recovery. And then uh, it's just uh, spread to a, a church family from there. That's really cool, man. So your um, your your kind of ministry sweet spot, um, from what I've gathered from Travis, is really um, you guys are really ministering to people with addiction issues. Um, is it? Can can you tell us a little bit more about that and what that looks like and how you came into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so foreign world to myself, um, I didn't have much, if any, training or experience in that. Um, I had come to the city of Delray, which has been dubbed by the New York Times a halfway or the recovery capital of the world, if you will. Um, anyway, so I would just come there. I'm from there. I grew up there and uh, now live there. And I would leave my... Um, 
sort of bigger church office type thing going on in Boca to try to be creative, write sermons, whatever. And while I was there one day, while on staff at the at the bigger church that actually would end up sending us there as a church plant, um, I met a guy named Saul, uh, you know, and uh, he not a follower of Christ or anything like that, but really, really um, involved in the recovery scene. And um, I kind of asked what he did. He asked what I did. And so he just invited me in uh, one night. He's like, hey, man, you want to come out to a group of guys that I try to help? And I was like, sure. And so I came out and he introduced me as sort of the, um, if, if anybody here at this particular meeting were, was interested in the things of the faith, this is the guy you go to. So that was my introduction into that world. So I quickly learned that, um, you know, putting a high emphasis on relationship and caring about people and, and just that idea of earning the right to share the gospel before sort of um, pushing my agenda uh, was, was really uh, what was effective and what was needed. And so um, thus began our journey into the world of addiction and the world of recovery and um, six years later, we've learned that, um, I think probably the, the best term for it is a, a blurred sort of kind of like a blurred boundaries is, is the best way to go about that ministry. And what I mean by that is, so I would be considered a normie, um, one, half our pastoral staff would be considered in recovery. Um, but, but what we've seen is the gospel blurs those boundaries and they help us to see us both. Um, incredibly desperate for Jesus. And um, when we see ourselves like that, it not only unifies us, but it also, you know, makes a much bigger deal of Jesus. How have you found um, as, you know, as a normie, as you put it, how would you find that a non-addict pastor uh, is able to uh, minister to people in recovery? Like, obviously you said half your staff is um, in recovery, half or not. Um, do you find yourself just Obviously, not just you know shopping off to the people that that are. How how do you relate to them, and how can not only you relate to them, but let them trust you and let them let their guard down? How do you kind of you know bridge that gap? And you kind of mentioned it some, but how how would you do that more like on a personal level, or even like on an organizational level? Yeah, so I would say two things like humility and vulnerability. Um, so the first thing, humility, uh, would be we in um, we just kind of went in as a church plant as uh, first and foremost learners. Like we wanted to learn our culture. We wanted to learn the people that God had sent us to. And, um, you know, so we want to learn who they, you know, because you can't love who you don't know. Right. And so we just wanted to know that um, demographic better. And so in the midst of learning, uh, we, we thought maybe like, Hey, this is, we were going to be good news. You know how like the kingdom of God invades dark places. So we thought we would be good news um, to those walking through recovery. But what, what we found was, and, and thankfully because we went in as learners, they were actually good news to us. And the recovery community began to shape and influence the, the sort of quote unquote church community. And it was this like really cool symbiotic relationship where we were helping them to meet um, uh, the person of hope that they had actually longed for named Jesus. And they were helping us to actually um, do life together in a way that was authentic and caring and loving uh, in, in a way where we didn't have to hide who we were or how we were struggling. Uh, 
Um, and so there was like, first, first and foremost, I think the most practical thing was that we just tried to be learners. And when we, when we became learners, we actually became shaped by that culture. And then secondly, as a result of that vulnerability. So as a normie, um, the more I began to learn how to actually do life in a healthy, authentic, and open way, uh, the more vulnerable I became. And as I grew in vulnerability, um, that I also grew, I think, in um, like people trusted me. People uh, were able to hear what I had to say because they realized I wasn't um, in front of or better than, but I was like a beggar in need of the same food they were needing. And I was just kind of sharing how that like manna, if you will, was being worked out in my life. So those are the two things, humility and vulnerability, I think, which has helped a normie like me to be sort of um, grafted in to the world of recovery and vice versa. So the world of recovery now has been grafted into the world of the normie because like the gospel frees us to not perform or pretend, right? And, and that's kind of like the vibe that not only recovery has, but also like the church should have. Mm, mm-hmm. That's really good. So as you kind of started noticing your church plant, um, you know, from its very infancy, um, how did this, how did the recovery ministry play in? Because obviously it's very time consuming. Um, anyone who does recovery ministry knows it's not just a meeting once a week. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, we talked before and I'm an RN and I did a bit of psych nursing and worked some rehab. I always, my wife always says, you know, when you tell people you spent time in rehab, you should tell them you meant you were working <laughs> and, uh, you know, but same with psych. Because I think, you know, people look at me and think, oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you were in the side yeah. hospital. I get it. But, uh, right. but you know, as you watch that unfold in your church plan, obviously, there was a lot of adjustments you guys had to make um, to incorporate. I can talk sometimes on my podcast. <laughs> incorporate things uh, into the life and the rhythm of the church plan. Now, what, what did that look like for you guys? What adjustments did you have to make? And. You know, how did you have to accommodate this new way? Because it, it's very much a discipleship thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think a couple of things come to mind when you say that. Um, we love the word rhythms, so I'll speak in, in those type of terms as far as rhythms and, and some adjustments. So we, we kind of had to move from, like, programs to people, I guess you would say. So... You know, when when you're when you're walking through somebody in recovery, um, well, first of all, you know, like it's it's that it's that first mind shift, I think, for all of us to realize that in the gospel we're all recovering from the old man and being renewed into the new man. And so once we begin to have that mindset that is more holistic rather than hey, this is just a demographic, then then we begin to shift from like trying to fit people into our pre-existing programs that maybe we came came up with into like really trying to invest in who these people are and, and what are their needs. And one of the, one of the greatest needs that um, I think the AA model um, promotes is this sponsorship, is this uh, high emphasis on relationship. Um, so basically if you want to get sober, you know, in the AA model, you go to meetings, you get a sponsor, and you work the steps. 
but all of that takes, as you said, time and relationship. And, and so we, we use a biblical word for it called discipleship, and they use another word for it called sponsorship. So it's actually the same thing. It's just that they were, they were doing it better than we were. And so, again, going back to the learning aspect of it, they had a group gathering, but then they also had like that one-on-one rhythm where it was consistent. And, and it, was a, it was probably a higher commitment than what we were used to. Uh, being able to walk alongside somebody through both the good and the bad um, with some intentionality. And so I think our focus had to shift from having like well-polished programs and trying to fit people into what we thought would work for them <clears throat> to actually meeting people where they were um, and uh, creating time and, and margin uh, for people. So that was one of the one thing first things that shifted for us is the focus from programs uh, to people. And then I think the second thing that um, uh, shifted for us, well, what was a structure thing. Uh, we we kind of shifted from a traditional small group model, which is what we were trained in, to more of a missional community model where there's um, uh, basically missional community just has a greater emphasis on on really the gathering and spending time with one another and being family that's sent out on mission together rather than just a once a week meeting for like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and uh, so, so those two things, the, the focus more on people and the structural change where we kind of created more family settings, I think were helpful. I think philosophically, I would say, um, we just had to get more comfortable with with getting dirty, you know, like like getting messy, if you will. and and being in situations that we've never been in before, um, uh, I, I think we realized that um, grace is uh, unorganized and um, not predictable. Uh, and so for us, having, having to walk through giving grace and then receiving grace, like mm-hmm. what does that look like? Um, that, so, that, so the gospel that, becomes a real thing in that in that yeah. setting because it can't just be talked about. You know, Jesus came 2000 years ago. It has to be lived out. And it right. becomes a very real application when you got a guy who's in recovery who's like, "Hey man, I I'm struggling with 30 days, man. I you know, I can't make 30 days." And you have to embody that. You have to live right. that out. And and really it becomes a physical hands-on demonstration of what God does with each one of us cuz I always like to tell people, you know, uh, my name is Peyton Jones, and um, I'm a recovering cineholic. <laughs> you know, Jesus is right. my sponsor, right? I mean, right. that that's salvation. That is the walk that each one mm-hmm. of us walks in Christ with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I love that. Let me ask you, um, can I ask you a, a, a question that you're not really supposed to ask um, church planners? kind of like asking a man, hey, how much money do you make? You're not supposed to ask those questions. Um, but... I have a reason for asking this question. It's it's that question for church planners. What what's your your size right now as a church planner? Mm-hmm. What how many people are you running? And there's a reason I'm getting to this. It's yeah. it's the don't ask me questions. It's like saying, "Hey, show me your underwear right now." Um, you know, it's just not polite, you know. It's the questions you ask on the other podcast to Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is more like smack talk on the other podcast, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we do covenant membership and then attendance. So those would be our two numbers. So right. like covenant members, if you will, I think we're like 
125. Okay. And then like uh, on a Sunday, we're probably around 220 to 260, okay. give, given the Sunday. So you're in the top 10% in America. You know, a lot of people forget that 90% of the churches out there um, are less than 200. So if you're in that number, church planner, cha-ching, you know, you're, you're in the money. You're, you're right there. You're, you're 90% of churches out there, not church plants, but churches in America are 200 or less. So, um, you know, top 10% here. Um, so, so Casey on this, the reason I'm asking is as a church increases in size, we talked about those rhythms. The dynamics really change in a church plant. You know, you start hitting 75 and it feels different. You, you interact with a, a body of a hundred, you know, 75 people differently. For example, when you, um, you can lead a room effectively, um, a crowd effectively of 150. Really, if you, if you have what Spurgeon calls, you know, you have the double chest proving you're a preacher. Um, in those days, they didn't have amplification. So he's like, barrel chested men. God calls him to a ministry. He has a chapter called Ministers on Slender, you know, uh, Words to Ministers of Slender Apparatus. And he basically says, you're not called. <laughs> you, God didn't give you the hardware. So just don't worry about it. Find something else to do. But uh, we have mics today. We have mics today. So, you know, most of you 200 years ago, you wouldn't make it. But uh, no, I'm teasing. But but here's the deal. You would just lead 90% of the other churches. You wouldn't do what Char Charles Spurgeon would do. <laughs> That's right. But, but the reason I ask is as your dynamics change, right, like 150, it, it changes yet again. And I know people have those, you know, reaching the such and such barrier. I hate that stuff. I'm not going there. But, but what, what you're talking about is something that has to scale up, um, you know, as your emphasis has been on quality, not on quantity. What have been some of the, I would, I guess the word I would use is some of the, the, the difficult things as you've grown that, you know, or some of the, the, the pitfalls, because I'm guessing there's something that's been hardwired into the DNA of your church plant that's helped you navigate that as you're growing in people in quantity, you're, you're maintaining that quality. What's that been? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think the thing that has been difficult as of late um, would be, as you mentioned, just this issue of alignment and trying to um, unify us for mission. So, for instance, you know, our mission is not creative. We just we just follow, you know, the mission Jesus gives us. Let's make disciples and make disciples. And um, but that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And as we've grown. Um, I feel as though uh, it, it was much easier to be unified with 120 people than it is with 220 people. And especially when, you know, half of those people may not be committed uh, as, as per your definition. And so I think alignment has been difficult uh, for us as we've grown. I think that we have a revolving door. Well, I know we have a revolving door and that's been a difficulty. So there is uh, a ton of churches out there who have, have, uh, a ton of the people who have come through our church and and there's a there's a lot of reasons for that i think but but one of them is just that um it seems like the people we're connected with we're connected with but we might be at like a a, a ceiling it's like okay so everyone's connected well 
we're all walking alongside somebody in a missional community per se, but that doesn't leave a lot of margin for the new person to find their way in. Um, so those have been some of the challenges. Um, I think in the midst of that, uh, as a church planner, sometimes I'm afraid to, I'm not really sure which metrics matter. I don't really know how to set goals. Um, and, and so what we've tried to do is, um, you know, st- stay away from, uh, you know, like traditional numbers, traditional, you know, we're, we're kind of a response against that. But in so doing, I wonder if maybe we haven't, you know, missed ways to strategically keep our DNA, but, but also move forward, um, as a church. So that, I don't know, man, that's kind of where we are year six, trying to figure some things out like that. Very cool. Travis, uh, anything kind of burning on your heart here that you want to ask him? As long as we get him and we're paying him nothing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your hourly rate's about to increase. It's about to double. Here comes the million dollar Um, question. I'm ready. Phone a friend. No, the, um, yeah, right. The, there's been uh, obviously a lot of talk about things you've been able to implement well and, and suggestions. Are there any specific things you've found in the attic community that's like, oh, do anything but this? Like, if you had to warn someone, like, oh, I wish I would have known this before I did this, and everyone was pissed at me for a few months, and you know, I had to kind of wait out time. Um, what would you tell people to avoid as a you know non-attic pastor relating to addicts? What what would you say to to avoid? Yeah. So first of all, don't pretend like you know, because you don't know. You don't know what it's like to need a substance the way you and I need our next breath. Like, so don't, don't pretend like you do. Um, number two is, uh, uh, they, like, like anybody, but especially that demographic, um, they don't need a quick fix. Um, so, so don't do that. Don't, um, you know, scripture grenade them. Don't, um, even, even nice, nice thought, you know, quit, quit dropping nice thought bombs, like Hallmark birds. Yeah. Like just understand what it is to the best of your ability to be with somebody when it, like when it really hurts and when you're super uncomfortable, maybe, um, in that world. But I, I feel as though what, what, what's really well received is someone who can listen, ask well-informed questions, and then still be there when when um, people aren't getting it right. Uh, yeah, and and not not so those, being like the church lady, right? Like having to correct yeah. them. Their every thought. Hmm, right. who would make you feel that? Hmm, is it Satan? Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I and I also think. Um, so you said things to not do. So. I would not, um, I would not have a polished veneer. So I guess the positive way to say that is, is I would let, I would let them in, if you will. So, um, the, the less you have it together, actually the yeah. better. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is, so like I, I have uh, an ongoing struggle with anxiety It's is, it's very present and real to me. And it makes me very needy most times. I, I never want to. I never want it. So I'm always, I'm always waiting it, waiting for it to be sanctified away. And Jesus just doesn't do that for me. But He creates an even seemingly 
um, greater need for him. And, and then he fills it in this really sweet way. And so I have the opportunity to um, talk about that out loud and allow people into my own struggle, my own chaos, or I can try to go get fixed on my own between Jesus and me and then come back as their polished pastor. Well, don't do that. Don't do that. That's going to kill you. It's going to kill your church. And it's going to create an environment where you don't attract other needy people, but you attract other fake polished people. Yeah. Very cool. When you're speaking of, you know, being real and being honest, this is the time where we ask you to reach down deep and bear your soul. And uh, I picked up from your language that you're, you're, you're a reformed guy, right? (laughs) If, if I'm using my field manual using, you haven't used words like gospel saturation or those, but, but I'm picking up, I'm reading between the lines. And, uh, so, so we have this question we like to ask every episode. And it, it, here it comes. Um, what we like to do is we like to pick, um, someone from the church planting world and we like to kind of pit you against them. And, uh, yeah. we like to ask the question if you were to get, into a physical fist fight with Matt Chandler, who would win? Oh, well, I mean, I, I think for sure any guy who has, has battled and beat cancer, he would win. Yeah. So I'm going to give him the nod. Brain cancer <laughs> at that. I know. But, but one thing you might not know about me is I'm super scrawny, but I'm really fast. Yeah. So I don't feel like I would be harmed too bad because of my escapism skills. Nice. I like it. Cause I'm guessing that Matt, I saw him when he was going through that. And, uh, you know, obviously cancer is nothing to laugh at, but, um, you know, dude, his head, man, it's, it's tough. And, yeah. uh, he might, he might go in for a headbutt. And I think you could dodge right. that faster than a fist. Yeah. Sure. But he's got long reach. I mean, you see his dude's arms long. He does. He definitely does. He's he's definitely some, but I like that. You say you're scrawny. I like that. A little scrappy. That's short man yeah. syndrome, right? We gotta stick together. Absolutely. I'm with you. I'm with and, you. And Travis, you wanna put money on any one of these guys? What do you think? You've heard it. Well, I, w- I was gonna point out his running because he I used to work at Starbucks, you know, and I'd be up at four thirty in the morning and he would be running down the sidewalk. You know, hey Travis, and I'm just like, dude, who's up at four thirty in the morning running? Like this is insane. So I definitely agree. He def- he could definitely get out of the fight if necessary. Casey Cleveland um, gets up and runs. He passes Starbucks yeah. at four thirty. Who knows what time yeah. he's up? Oh yeah, <laughs> and it, we're still a mile from the beach, so you know he's going to run on the beach for a while too. So Casey, if but. our church planners want to, okay, if they want to listen to my train, um, you just go to www.hardcorechurchplanning.com. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Um, please don't steal that domain name, Travis. Get right on that. And, uh, (laughs) we do now. Um, but hey, you know, Casey, if, if people want to pick your brain and they want to find out, hey, how do I, uh, get in touch with you and, you know, uh, milk you for some of this rehab goodness, um, recovery goodness, how would they get in touch with you? And, you know, is there a website? Is there a place, a portal that they can reach you through? Absolutely. Well, just my, we do have a website, you know, it's, it's, um, theavenuechurchdelray.com but uh, then just a direct email I'm totally cool yeah, if I hit us. just shoot it out it's at <clears throat> casey at theavchurch.com so c-a-s-e-y <clears throat> at theavchurch.com alright well hey 
This has been Hardcore Church Planning. I want to thank our guest today, Casey Cleveland, and my co-host. Uh, he is a millennial. If you didn't pick that up, he has worked at Starbucks to prove it. And uh, Travis Sinks, thanks for being on here as a uh, guest host. And uh, we appreciate all you guys out there listening. And Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.